opposing the horrible madness of war. We need to stop bombing people's homes. It's not anti-European. Stop sending arms into conflict zones. It's common sense. Millions of Europeans struggle to feed their families and heat their homes. All wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. When he is going to wake up and start living in the real world? Thank you. Hello, hello. Welcome to the first episode of I Foresee Trouble of 2024. It's a new year, but we've the same stars in the show. Um, the same wow. stars? Yeah. Well, speaking of stars, you know, a number of people said to me over Christmas, that's a lovely girl. Stop, That's really? which is now on the podcast. It's been well remarked. That's true. Very true. Oh, that makes me very happy. Okay, so let's get to it. Yesterday you were in The Hague. I think our listeners will know about the proceedings. So South Africa has brought Israel to the ICJ under the Genocide Convention and you had the chance to stand there in solidarity with the Palestinians and with the South African delegation that was there. What did you think? What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, look, at we're, we're, we're still defrosting ourselves from it, uh, bitterly cold in uh, The Hague. But yeah, it was actually quite moving. I mean, we went along because clearly the eyes of the world were on these proceedings. It's not just Israel that's on trial, but actually international law itself is under scrutiny. And there were people all over the world glued to their computer screens and watching the proceedings. And it's not every day that that happens. And I think that just shows you how much is, is riding on it. I mean, for me, I thought it was really moving uh, to see the South African delegation. They were amazing. They were so diverse. They were so on their game. And for people who maybe were brought up in politics in the struggle against apartheid South Africa, to see this country now, only 30 years old post-apartheid, leading the charge on the world stage in defence of international law and humanity was actually quite moving, to be honest. I thought they were fantastic. Uh, it brought into the spotlight how Ireland should be doing it as well, given our history, but we seem to have forgotten ours a lot more than the South Africans have, but we'll maybe deal with that in a minute. Look at South Africa presented their case. The Genocide Convention, and there's been a lot of talk in Ireland and in the media over the last while about this, but the debate has been pretty badly informed actually. So people should read and look up the Genocide Convention. It's short, it's pretty clear legally and that as well. And basically... It's defined under Article 2 and the South African team were very clear on that, that it means acts which were intent on destroying in whole or in part a national, ethical, racial or religious group. And they list a number of things that that could be. So either killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part and imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group and then forcibly transferring children within the group. They're the five clauses and South Africa presented a case based on the first four of those and the evidence was compelling. Uh, very, very clear. I wasn't, I mean, it was just amazing. That was the first part of their argument. Yeah, I, I thought they were incredibly impressive. Um, they were so articulate. Um, and they actually used uh, a lot of quotes from the Israelis themselves to actually back up their argument. And it has been so clear 
that the Israelis are not hiding the fact that they're committing a genocide, only they refuse to call it a genocide. Now, obviously, there's... Um, it's great that South Africa have done this. Um, they've really put themselves on the world stage and it's a wonderful tribute to them. And um, as you've pointed out, Claire, on a number of occasions, um, the fact that they've had their roots and the formation of their own nation um, was so much built on fighting um, apartheid and now they're challenging the apartheid state of Israel uh, for its war crimes and its genocide. Um, obviously, we have no idea how it's going to turn out. Um, there will be a lot of pressure on the judges particularly from the Americans, uh, to take the Israeli position. Uh, people will know that the US has supported is Israel's massacre in Gaza, uh, not just by supplying weapons, but it's also blocked United Nations attempts to end it. And uh, America has been really exposed for what they really stand for. And uh, for those at home uh, who have been very much wedded uh, to US imperialism and accepting it without question. Uh, it, it must be giving them some serious food for thought. Um, but talking about South Africa, um, it is a huge disappointment to us that the Irish government have not supported South Africa and, uh, and backed them up. And last Sunday, uh, our Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, he told RTE that the government had no intention of supporting South Africa's claim. And he threw in, bear in mind, he said, what Hamas did on October 7th, was that not also genocide? Now, I mean, that was an incredibly uh, strange comment for him to make because he knows bloody well what Hamas, Hamas's attack uh, on the October 7th was terrible and shocking and it was terrible as so many civilians died. But uh, he knows bloody well it wasn't a genocide. And it was also um, really striking that he actually distorted the language around genocide uh, to suit his argument. And he said that genocide is defined as a deliberate attempt to destroy an entire nation or entire race, or to do so in large part. And as Claire just read out, that's actually not what it says. And uh, it actually says, acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethical, racial, or religious group. Whereas, and he left out, uh, or in part, uh, and he puts in, or to do so in large part. I mean, that's actually... That's, a, that's cheating. I mean, that's a distortion of, of the language around genocide. And I mean, I for one, I, I'm, I'm really disappointed that Leo Varadkar has taken this position. I really am. Well, it was totally contradictory what he said. I mean, actually, he made a show of himself because on the one hand, he said genocide is very particular. We have to be very careful. And then he went on, as you said, called what Hamas did genocide. I know. Michal Martin, people are resurrecting tweets from Michal Martin causing, calling some of the Russian action genocide in, in parts of Ukraine. But they can't call it genocide here in Israel. So completely and utterly contradicting themselves. I mean, Hamas is not on trial here, so it's a complete red heron to 
bring in that. That doesn't justify what Israel has done. And I think that was the strength of the South Africans' case because they, after outlining the atrocities, which everybody knows what they are and they're undeniable, the key thing that they did was draw from that, that these actions were done having been calculated to bring about the physical destruction of the Palestinian population and remove them from Gaza. And as you said, they relied on that by testimony from the Prime Minister, from the President, from members of Parliament, from heads of the army. And then they showed how the soldiers who actually committed out those atrocities were doing them in the name of eliminating Palestinians, including all civilians, all babies, all of this kind of thing. So it was really clear. And to hear the Israelis try and defend that on the grounds of self-defence, well, it doesn't add up because the court has already ruled that they don't have the right to self-defence, which is from an external invasion. And the invasion did not come externally as Israel controls uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, And I think in terms of rulings that the court has made in other cases, Mm -hmm. it's very clear that if they don't take this seriously, then the crisis for international law will be deep-seated because already people around the world are just scratching their heads and thinking, how did we allow this to get to this place that there hasn't been a cessation of hostilities? And that, of course, is what South Africa is looking for. They're looking for an order to say, while this has been investigated, halt the atrocities, stop the action, because if there's even a shred of a suspicion of genocide, well, then you should be saying, stop it until it's investigated. And that makes Ireland's action even more shameful because they didn't even have to say it's genocide. But is there enough information there to say it might be genocide and therefore the case should be looked at, which is what the South Africans are doing? Well, my God, it is. And people across Ireland are fuming. And the Taoiseach's remarks in minimising. Actually, what they said is, is that Ireland is saying it's not genocide, which is in advance of the hearing, which I think is frankly disgraceful and and Varadkar has exposed himself incredibly badly and so has the government. Yeah, I mean, South Africa, as you said, Claire, um, we're we're looking for at least a halt to the massacre until the facts around genocide were firmly established. And genocide is a very high bar, but South Africa's uh, request for provisional measures Uh, including a ceasefire order and an instrument that Israel must halt its deprivation of food, water, fuel, shelter, clothing, hygiene, sanitation, medical supplies and assistance to Palestinian children and adults in Gaza. Now, can someone explain to me how an Irish government couldn't actually support that? Because I don't really understand that. Mm. Now, um, we mentioned that South Africa were using uh, many comments from Israeli politicians themselves and military personnel. And as you said, Claire, they showed some horrendous videos of soldiers actually calling for a genocide. But I'm just going to read a couple of, of the quotes from some of the Israeli uh, politicians, right? The Defence Minister Gallant, he said, We are imposing a complete siege on the city of Gaza. There will be no electricity, no food, no water, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly. And then an Israeli defence officer said, This is not about surgical strikes and military infrastructure anymore. This means we will obliterate civilian infrastructure as well. Apartment buildings will be toppled. And... 
the advisor to the defense minister says, Israel has no choice but to render Gaza into a place that is temporarily or permanently unfit for living. And uh, another advisor said, Israel needs to create a humanitarian crisis in Gaza, compelling tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands to seek refuge in Egypt or the Gulf. The entire population of Gaza will either move to Egypt or move to the Gulf. And uh, the Minister for Agriculture, we are now rolling out the Gaza NABCA. From an operational point of view, there is no way to wage a war as the IDF, IDF seek to do in Gaza with masses between the tanks and the soldiers. Gaza NABCA 2023, that's how it will end. Now, and the uh, Defence Minister Gallant, I am saying here to the citizens of Lebanon, I already see the citizens in Gaza walking with white flags along the coast and moving south. And if uh, if Hezbollah makes a mistake of this kind, the ones who will pay the price are, first of all, the citizens of Lebanon. What we are doing in Gaza, we know now. We know how to do in Beirut. Now, I mean, the South Africans relied on testimony from the Israelis themselves to show that they, there, there is intent on committing the genocide by the Israelis. The intent is there, and they're admitting themselves. In most cases where uh, genocide has been looked at in the past, an awful lot of the time, it used to be hard to actually prove the intent. But the Israelis are boasting about the intent. I think it was important, the South African opening statement, because I do think the behaviour of Israel in their barefaced racism and apartheid it's almost like they wallow in it and they go come on come on bring it on I mean somebody was saying on the protest yesterday and I think he had a point that can you imagine if the Americans did some of what Israel has done in Gaza to some of the civilian populations in Iraq and it's not to underestimate we know a million people were killed in Iraq but look at can you imagine the outcry if they were found to have done some of the war crimes with some of the children targeting medical staff and that kind of thing? It would have been Israel behaves in a lawless manner because, as the South Africans said, this started 75 years ago with the Nakba and they have been allowed to get away with illegality and victimising Palestinians and denying their rights for 75 years and this has got us to this place now and I think that is an important point to uh, bring in as well. 1.9 million people have moved. The Irish lawyer um, who spoke uh, as part of the South Africans team had some of the the best evidence, I think, on South Africa's side in terms of outlining the horrors of the numbers of civilians being killed every day, the fact that 10 children every day are having one or more limbs amputated without anaesthetic. And the Israelis call this self-defence. I mean, it's just, it's barbarous. It is really barbarous. And the fact that their response has been to accuse South Africa of genocide. Like they tweeted yesterday during the proceedings to say that South Africa is the judicial wing of Hamas, that they're conspiratorial criminal um, uh, guilty of genocide themselves. That's what they've accused. I mean, it's, this is just delusional nonsense. And what one thing, and people at home should realise... 
the role of the EU and we'll get a chance next week in Strasbourg to bring this out more. But Israel this morning relied upon the European Union and the mouth of Ursula von der Leyen to support their case. That evidence was introduced as part of the Israeli defence of genocide to quote Ursula von der Leyen in saying that basically Israel has a right to defend itself. So she, the words of the European Commission president are being used to support genocide, which is exactly what we said from the very beginning was going to happen. They're not even hiding it now. She is an absolute disgrace. And it's very clear that Israel has been trying to destabilise the whole region to make this conflict further. We saw that last night as well with the beginning of strikes by uh, the US and UK and Yemen. Yeah, and for Richard Sunak to come out and say that the the bombing of Yemen is self-defence on the part of the US and UK. Now, I mean, in all fairness, what planet do these people live on? Self-defence? They're bombing Yemen to help Israel come continue with a genocide in Gaza. That's why they're bombing Yemen. It's not self-defence. Yemen has not attacked Britain or the US. And if they've targeted ships that, uh, in the Red Sea uh, that were facilitating the genocide in Israel, uh, for the UK to say that this is self-defense, I mean, these people are lying. These people, these people are committing war crimes. It's a, it's, it's, they have no respect for international law. They're, just, they're bombing them on the poorest, poorest countries on earth. Now, during Obama's time, Obama obliterated Yemen with strikes and drone strikes and um, missile strikes. For over eight, for eight, eight years of his presidency, uh, it was unbelievable uh, the amount of attacks that Obama was responsible for in Yemen. And then in 2015, we had the US and the Saudis and UAE with the UN, March 2015, agreeing to bomb Yemen. Bomb Yemen. You would say, well, why were they bombing Yemen? Well, they want, Yemen weren't playing ball and Yemen weren't agreeing to, to be raped and abused by Western financial imperialism. So they had to be brought into line. And they bombed them to such a level that in two years ago now, the UN said that there was almost 400,000 dead in Yemen and 15.8 million starving from... The, the Western-supported Saudi-UAE barrage of Yemen. And now it's been attacked again in self-defense. I mean, when the media report what someone like Sunak or Biden, two war criminals, and when they say, oh, this is self-defense, the media have a responsibility to say, that's actually a lie. Call it out for what it is. And don't, don't just report, oh, they said that. Yeah, let's hear what they said, but then call it out for what it is. Mm. It's, a, it's an act of aggression, an act of military aggression by major powers against uh, another uh, sovereign state. And it has been done, uh, if you like, in part... Um, 
you know, at the behest of the Israelis, because I think it is important to say from the very beginning, Israel has been attempting to try and make the conflict broader um, to keep the pressure on the likes of on the US to back them. I mean, we should um, decry the appalling loss of life in Iran around the commemoration of the fourth anniversary of the assassination of General Soleimani, uh, the head of the Iranian army, who was the man who led the resistance to ISIS, the man who basically pulled together Iraqi resistance and with help from Iran. The Iraqis haven't looked to the US initially for help in defeating ISIS and not getting it. Um, General Soleimani and the troops stepped into the breach and they rid that area of ISIS, which was an enormous achievement. He was obviously taken out along with uh, Abu Mahandas, the Iraqi um, politician at the time. They were they were assassinated by the Americans. And here was a commemoration, which there was a, a, a terrorist attack on. Now, I think ISIS have claimed um, responsibility for that. But God only knows who it was, to be honest with you. And the provocation in Lebanon as well by Israel and taking out the Hamas guy in the middle of uh, Lebanon. All of these are designed acts to prod Iran, to prod Lebanon uh, and to destabilise the area. Yeah, I, I would be very wary at taking the word of ISIS when they say they're responsible for the attack. Um, we know that ISIS are, are an, a horrific entity. And people shouldn't forget that they were armed by the West in the early days. Western powers armed ISIS to destabilize Iraq, to destabilize Syria. And uh, as Claire said, it was Soleimani uh, who drove the fight against ISIS. And my God, if he hadn't have done so, because the West wouldn't get involved at that stage, they were they were happy for ISIS to uh, to run amok. And and in particular at that time, they wanted them uh, to undermine uh, the authorities in Syria. So they weren't prepared to take ISIS on. But Soleimani from Iran was, and uh, the world owes a great gratitude to Soleimani for uh, the incredible work that he did. Uh, instead, uh, and then you have the Americans assassinating him uh, for his efforts. Mm. I mean, it's a disgrace. Mm. Uh, but just in terms of, um, of in terms of Yemen and the Red Sea and the Houthis' attack uh, on ships that are facilitating the genocide in Gaza. It's very worrying now that we hear that the European Union wants to send uh, three warships uh, to the Red Sea as well. Uh, I mean, this is not good. Yeah, I mean, I, clearly there's divisions within the EU on this now. Um, the fact that they haven't, if you like, joined the action so far. But behind the scenes, the military industrial complex who are so much responsible for so much instability and who clearly have the ear and are have Ursula von der Leyen and her commission in their pocket are itching to get involved in this area. And this comes back to the words said by Biden all those years ago that if Israel didn't exist, we'd have to create it. That the instability built into that region from the former colonial powers of Europe is now being, I suppose, played out through Israel. 
Um, there's talk about maybe instability in Africa now that Cape uh, Lemonier in Djibouti may be something that they, the Houthis now and those in Yemen may respond in kind to the international basis there and all that killing and destruction will unfold in that region while the so-called people who are defending themselves in the US and the UK and the EU sit at home. This is barbarous and it's all about money um, and it's terrifying and we see that as well with the increased talk in the last week or so about now a European army again that whole area getting aired I think it was Maloney this time in Italy trying to probably lick a bit of arse in the EU uh, to make up for some other stuff kind of championing the drums on that one Yeah look just before we finish on Gaza um, it's it's I have found it striking uh, in in the last in the war's gone on for over ninety days now, and the support for the Palestinians from the Irish people has been amazing. It has been so good, and uh, obviously, uh, we wish the politicians uh, were were as um, as supportive. Uh, but people should never forget what Zionism is, and uh, I think before this uh, last three months. A lot of people didn't know what Zionism was, but more people know now. And it's a settler colonial project that was drawn up by the Western powers. Uh, and as you mentioned there, uh, to create this Israel, uh, which began with the Nakba in '48, And the fact that the EU and the US and the UK have refused to call for a permanent ceasefire, refused to condemn Israel, and have supported the genocide that's taken place is linked to the fact that they still support the settler colonial project that's called Zionism. And we have Jews all over the world who have come out against Zionism because they said, you don't speak for us. There's Jews all over the world want nothing to do with Zionism. It's a settler colonial project. It's about robbing the land from the Palestinians. It's about ethnically cleansing the Palestinians from Palestine. And that's what obviously what's going on right now in Gaza as well. But uh, it's really so heartwarming that the Irish people have been so good on it. And it makes it even more sickening that the government has had such a poor position now in their refusal uh, to support South Africa. Well, exactly. And I mean, sometimes people at home say, oh, look, Ireland has been the best in Europe. We're kind of on our own. We actually aren't. And we haven't even been the best in Europe. We've been less bad than some. But actually, Belgium, Spain, Slovenia, these countries have been at least as inverted commas good as Ireland in that they have withstood the Zionist um, narrative a little bit uh, and argued for self-determination for Palestine and some better position but uh, I, I mean I do think and I, you are right like the the groundswell of support for Palestine across Ireland but actually across Europe as well I mean globally it's a huge majority of people but it absolutely is a majority of people in Europe as well so that those in power don't speak for the people of Europe when their genocidal words are being used by Israel to support um, their case but one of the things which is interesting is that some people say oh well Europe was really strong in defending Ukraine but they're not strong in defending Palestine that's actually not the case. Their position on Ukraine and Palestine is actually similar because it's all driven by conflict, by the military industrial complex that is out there. Because what they did in Ukraine also wasn't to stand with Ukraine. It was to prevent 
an end to the war. It was to bend the knee to the US and NATO um, war hawks who wanted to have a proxy war with Russia. So when there was a peace deal on the table in April 22 that would have seen Russia withdraw to its pre-invasion levels, it was the West that came in and stopped that from happening. And the EU went along with that and the amount of public money that's been pumped in to keep that shit show on the road, which has resulted in hundreds of thousands of dead Ukrainians, the destruction of that country and basically being handed over. It's entirely consistent and Europe is to blame and people need to start joining those dots. Maybe we'll return to that a bit yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- that's really important and um, people probably don't realise it, but they reckon that there's a, there could be up to 300,000 working class Ukrainians after dying in this war. Uh, soldiers. For no good reason. And if it, as if that wasn't bad enough, Ukraine has been destroyed. And we now are literally colonising the place. First of all, an IMF loan three years ago uh, forced the Ukrainians to change their legislation so that foreign entities from America and Europe could buy land in Ukraine. And so the law was changed where you could buy up you could buy land in twenty five thousand acre lots and they have they have bought so much land now that US and European entities have bought more land for peanuts in western Ukraine than the Russians have taken on the eastern side. Now Everyone knows, we've said it hundreds of times, we condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It was a breach of sovereignty. It was 100% wrong. It was against the UN Charter. But there's no effort been made by the Western powers to establish peace in Ukraine, the same as they've made no effort to establish peace in Gaza. They didn't give a damn about how many Ukrainian soldiers were going to die in a war that the US and NATO wanted to happen. And likewise, it looks like they don't give a damn how many Palestinians die in Israel's pursuit of its ambitions in Gaza and Palestine. The war in Gaza and the war in Ukraine have so much more in common than people yet realise. Yeah, and actually, yes. And interestingly, there is now a lot more talk about peace and the need to look at peace. And Zelensky is going to be thrown under the bus now. He'll probably go away with his billions in his bag if somebody doesn't kill him in Ukraine first. But um There is talk about peace and the terms of a settlement now are going to be far less favourable for Ukraine than they would have been in April 2022. And I think it was gas. Our position, as you say, has been quite consistent. I don't know if you saw that uh, make me old constituency pal, (laughs) or so he calls himself, Dara O'Brien, our Minister for Housing, who doesn't understand our position on Russia and Ukraine. So condemning the war, calling for a ceasefire, but recognising that NATO and the US wanted to keep it, what's there not to understand? I mean, our position was the same as the Pope's, God help him. The gas thing is, I think the reason for his foray into foreign affairs that he obviously hasn't a clue about was because he's the director of elections now in the Dublin constituency in the European election. So he felt he had to have a swipe at these sort of non-European MEPs and are kind of going... Um, 
sorry now, what? Uh, you know, we are amongst the most well-known MEPs here. We've been invited to speak all over Europe at peace events and at events everywhere. The idea that just because we stand against the establishment that's in power in the EU now, that that's somehow anti-European. That's utter nonsense. People in Ireland expect us to stand against a genocidal lunatic like von der Leyen. We're proud of it. That's what Irish people should do in the EU and loads of ordinary people across the EU love it. So, yeah, guilty as charged. We're proud of it. And you know what? We're going to keep doing it. And if people think the idea that people are sent to Europe and that we should all be the same and the divisions we have at home somehow disappear. This is not some technocratic sort of little old men's club for sitting around talking. Decisions are being made in Europe that are having a major impact on people's lives and they're made by people like the representatives of our government at home and their ilk and their buddies out here that are shafting ordinary people. So yeah, we will stand against that. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually wondering, does does your friend Dara, does he know more about foreign affairs uh, than he does about housing? Because I get the impression he knows bugger all about housing. Uh, he's the housing minister and presiding over another disaster now. Homeless figures are at a new record high. Rent has gone off the Richter scale. It's, it's the, Ireland has seen greater rise in rent since 2010 than in any country in Europe. Hmm. We have... There's a huge problem around housing supply still. And they have targets which the European Commission have said now are not near high enough. And they can't even meet the ones that, that they've set. Uh, there's supposed to be 9,000 um, social, social housing built uh, in 2023. And after, after, after nine months, there was, uh, was 2,600 built. Mm. And it's supposed to be 9,000 for the 12 months. They can't even meet the targets that are not good enough. And the housing crisis is going to continue as long as Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are in government because they don't want to fix it. They don't want to seriously build social housing and, and to make housing affordable and, and available for a whole lot of people that can't possibly uh, buy it on, on, on the private market. It is absolutely scandalous that they have been useless at tackling the housing crisis. And there's a whole lot of different dimensions to what's going on around housing. And we haven't got time to do it today now because we're kind of out of time. But uh, there's some really good coverage being done by uh, one guy in particular that I, I've been reading his stuff lately. And he's actually working for the Business Post, a fellow called Killian Woods. And he's really sharp on what's happening. And uh, uh, I want to touch on next week uh, some stuff where he's shown that, that the Irish government is subsidising the private sector dramatically to make up for their own failed policies. Uh, you should really uh, tap into his stuff. Killian Woods, he, he's really good on the subject. But we definitely need to, to talk more about the housing in Ireland because it's one of the most important issues for so many people at home. And uh, definitely next week I want to cover it. Well, yeah, and it's catastrophic because our young people are leaving in droves. And the main reason why they're leaving is it's not just the bad weather. It's that they can't afford to live and move out of their parents' houses and begin a life of their own because of the accommodation crisis and it's acutely worse in Ireland because of subsidising the private sector. And we need an Irish media that calls yeah, out this well, and, and speaks the truth about what's really happening and what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are really up to. Yeah, very true. And on that note, we're going to finish today's episode. Let's hope that South Africa's courage inspires all of us to make a better year ahead. 
Make sure you tune in next week as well. And yeah, see you soon. Arrivederci. All the best. Ciao, ciao.